Episode of 360 Degrees, part of the Urban Breakdown Network. Uh, once again, we're blessed with a nice sunny uh, Sunday morning. It's supposed to be out in our way, out in North Carolina, it's supposed to be hot. It's supposed to be in the, the upper 80s, which is normal for about this time of year. It's almost, uh, we're a week away from Memorial Day. So it's to be I think expected. it just kind of sneaked up on us though, like damn, because it seemed like two weeks ago, it was like 40 degrees at night. So it's like, where the fuck was this energy two weeks ago? Exactly. But you know what? I'm 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 all for mild temperatures. So you know what? I figure, okay, it's almost June. It's to be expected. I just I just tried to enjoy the weather while it was there, you know, trying to get back in some sort of shape. I know round is a shape, but I'm not supposed to be round. So I've been, you know, trying to do some walking in the morning. And the weather's been great for it, you know. And because the sun comes up a little earlier, I'm able to get out there a little bit earlier and, you know, walk for a bit, you know, come back, wash up, you know, eat breakfast, start work. So been trying to take advantage of it. But we got Mercedes in the house. Good morning, Mercedes. Good morning. And then, of course, we have Odie in the house. Good morning, Odie. Good morning. All right. Odie, what you got for us today? Sorry, I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear Zeke uh, breathing all crazy in the background. Uh, we had a conversation offline, so y'all know why. Uh, so, Hocus Pocus. Merce, I know every year you do your uh, your Halloween countdown with your movies. Has Hocus, <laughs> has Hocus Pocus ever been on your watch list? Not yet. And the reason why I say not yet is because usually I just do it guerrilla style, just whatever comes up. And last year was the first year I actually had a theme for every week. And I kind of did want to, I didn't, I didn't plan on doing it this year, but I did want to kind of have like a more kid themed stuff, you know, just, hmm. just something lighthearted, like uh monster squad or uh, the witches, stuff like that, you know, and hope focus yeah. And Hocus Pocus, I mean, everything can't always be people's intestines on the floor. Halloween is not always about blood and gore. It's sure. about, you know, it, it, it's fun. You know, I, I started out loving Halloween as a kid because it was fun. And then, of course, I got older and Reaganomics happened and, you know, intestines became a thing. So, you know, I, I you know, I wouldn't have minded going back to that. And, and Hocus Pocus would have definitely, even though I hadn't seen it, it would have definitely been on my list. Okay, okay. Well, perhaps you should put it on your list because Hocus Pocus 2 is coming out. Uh, it's officially happening according to Disney. I think Sam has been asking for it for a long time. It's like one of those movies where it definitely didn't do well when it came out. Um, but I forgot what happened, like what triggered it to gain popularity. Um, but now the people that watched it are my age now. I'm in my mid-30s, 
for for your information. Um, and people were like, you know, people my age were really into it. And even though it has like a rotten tomato score of like 38%, it's still getting a, a second one. And I'm excited about it just because like those same people are returning to it. Um, the main now, star is now, Sarah now, Jessica Parker. Quick question before you continue. Um, what was the audience score? Oh, that I don't know. That oh. I don't know. I don't have it pulled up. The article doesn't reference it. Oh, okay. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, it's it's high enough. It's it's got to be high enough, yeah. Uh, just because it's getting a second, it's been greenlit for a second version of it. Um, it's projected to hit there sometime in 2022, which I think sucks because we they had the whole pandemic last year to work on this, but whatever. Because if anybody got money for tests, it's Disney. I'm saying. <laughs> Um, but in any case, it's it's coming, uh, and everybody signed on. I think I just read the other day too that the so like if you're not familiar with the plot, it's basically these three witches who are awakened after like so many years of so many Halloween's past. They come out on like every so many like every so many Halloween's, <clears throat> and their goal is to eat children so they can sustain until their next awakening, basically. And so they use Halloween to blend in and uh, find children to eat. And uh, of course, like their plan is foiled by some little kids. Um, one little girl is dressed as a witch and the little girl in the story is obviously now an adult. Because um, this movie came out in 93. So what is that, 28 years ago, something like that. Um, so she's definitely grown up now and she's also signed on. Um, in the story, there was also like, she had a brother. Um, there were some other ghosts involved. I have no idea if those characters are going to um, sign back on, but honestly, it doesn't matter. As long as I get to see Bette Midler uh, and Sarah Jessica Parker cut up, I'm there. I'm going to fucking watch. Um, so, that's my little uh, ray of sunshine this week. But it was pretty dry as far as like drama is concerned uh, and other aspects of what I usually bring to the table. So I figured this would be cute to talk about. I'm excited. Are there any like childhood movies you wish would come back? Like would get a part two? There was one, there was a movie that came out in the late 80s called The Monster Squad. And it was more, I think now it would probably be more PG-13 than PG only because of language. Like mm-hmm. it, some of the language was a, a little raw for a kid's movie, but it was about a, little, a bunch of kids who form, a, you know, they're like junior high school kids who form a, uh, a monster club. You know, they're into monsters and then they en- end up having to thwart the plans of Dracula and his crew of, uh, of monsters. They make friends with Frankenstein. It's cute, you know? And it's also a little edgy. Like there's a part where the Wolfman gets blown to smithereens with dynamite. And then because the only way to kill him with a silver bullet, you just see him like reform, you know? They didn't do it like super gory, but it was still, I think if they did it now, it'd be more PG-13, which would be fine by me, you know? I've watched enough rated R and, you know, 
above horror movies in my life. Everything doesn't have to be intestines on the floor, you know? You know what's I, funny is like, um, like to that effect, as far as like ratings changing, when I was a kid, I would read R.L. Stein books and mm. those are like, you know, considered horror. Um, I didn't read like his scary, scary books. I read more of, at least I don't remember them being that scary, um, but I read a lot of his books. And I was, I saw that he's actually, one of the series has been adapted into a film, but it's, they're all R-rated. So you would think, you know, because of who we were at the time, who was geared towards, definitely PG-13-ish. Um, I think I was maybe like 10 reading those books. So like, you know, made for tweens and preteens and teens, like early teenagers. Um, so you would think that they would shoot for PG-13 to adapt them, kind of like they did with Goosebumps, but that doesn't seem to be the case here at all. Like, um, I know it's a trilogy of one of those books. I don't think I read this book either or the books in, that they're making into a movie, but they're all going to be R-rated. I think they're starting to, I don't know. I, I, I guess they're not going to gear them toward kids. I know R.L. Stein, you know, I remember the, uh, I never really read them, but I know of the, uh, actually, no, it's not that I never, I never read his books, but I've seen the, uh, they had a television show about, uh, about Goosebumps that came out like in an, I think it was in either in the nineties or early two thousands that I used to watch. Yeah. I've, I've watched a few episodes. I was actually pretty good, you know? So it, it's kind of weird that they're making it R rated, but you know, I, I guess if I had actually read that particular series, I could have more of an opinion on it. I do think that, um, I guess it's fun when you're a little kid to be scared in a controlled environment. You know, mm. it's not fun to be walking down the street alone at night and to be scared. That's not fun. <laughs> but, you know, if you're sitting, you know, if you're sitting, you got your little, uh, you know, like they have how they portray them on TV sometimes, you know, they're, they got the blanket over their head. They got the little flashlight, you know, it's all dark. And, you know, you read something that kind of makes you like peek over the cars. Like, what was that? You know, that's, you know, that's more like for kids. So I didn't read that particular series. So I don't know if I have an opinion on whether I think it should be rated R or not, you know, because there are a lot of movies like Hunger Games probably should have been rated R. The first one, the rest of them were just not that bad. Yeah, but interestingly I, enough. But yeah, I think they. Yeah, I do, too. I do too. I don't know why I think that, or I don't know if I can articulate why I really feel that way, but I see your point. Like, yeah, I do, especially that first one. The first one was kind of cutthroat, like the way the shit was set up in the first place. I forgot how old my nephew or, was. I think he might have still been in uh, in middle school, but they read it in class and they had to sign a waiver to allow the kids to read uh, the original Hunger Games, you know? And, you know, I, I mean, I think they were faithful to the story, but I think, but because, but they had the PG-13 it up, which I was not a fan of, you know. But hey, they had to make that money. Yeah, yeah, I should have done like two cuts, basically. Yeah. As much, as much money as that movie made, they should have had the two cuts. PG-13 R. Basically. 
Now, I, I will say this uh, on the subject of the witches real quick. I had to look it up real quick. Not, not the witches. I looked that up too, because I, when you first said Hocus Pocus, I first thought about the movie, The Witches, the one with Angelica Houston in it. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. That's the one with, yeah, no. I was about the one with Bette Midler. That was Hocus Pocus. So Hocus Pocus had a budget of $28 million when it came out in 93. And it only made forty-four million at the box office. Hey, uh, Ben Midler probably cost ten million of that. Basically, <laughs> like, like Ben Midler, like that was so random to have her in that movie. But I she mean, was already but, a legend at that point, you know. But, but just from the trailers that I saw, she just seemed perfect for it, you know. And 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 just from the trailers alone, I was saying if I ever do more of a, a kid-themed week for my Halloween marathon, that's why. I, oh yeah, I'll definitely put Hocus Pocus on there, you know. Because just from the trailer, she looked, I mean, you know, as a, not being derogatory, but she looked perfect as a witch. <laughs> and you want to know what? I've never seen the first Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Well, the second it's not coming out for a while, but that first one, it's it's cute. Like I say, you know, get your kids into it. See, see if they're, see if like you can experience it together and not have any expectations. Because, you know, from what I've heard, you know, kids, they hurt your feelings. Like, they'll be like, oh, like, this was your favorite movie when you were my age? This sucks. Shut up. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> so, at least now you have no expectations. You can't go in saying, like, oh, I loved this movie as a kid. And just be like, oh, this is something new for both of us. Maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. You know what's funny? I, I showed, we were having, like, a movie exchange with my nephew. My nephew turns 20 next week. But uh, I think like either like, I think it was like last year or so we had a movie exchange and we were just, I was showing him some old movies and I showed him a Stir Crazy with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder and um, uh, the Blues Brothers. And I figured he'd like the Blues Brothers more because it was a, a musical. And he was just like, he didn't really get it. And me and, and his granddad were watching the blue and we're just laughing, you know, cause it's a, you know, it was a great movie, you know? It's ridiculous, over the top, and Ray Charles is in it, but he just was not really—he didn't really get it. <laughs> and I, I guess you know that that '80s humor—it just doesn't really work on Gen Z, I guess. You know, but at least he did not like it. He just—it just wasn't really for him. Yeah. But I, 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 I could see that divide i mean you're you're one generation up <laughs> so um i figured there'd be less of a divide between the stuff that was popular when you were a kid you know like my niece is she turns 30 this year you know and her thing you know she was her thing was like power rangers she used to love power rangers when she was a kid you know and i could i didn't get it <laughs> you know only thing that she liked that I liked was SpongeBob SquarePants. I can't help it. He's, he's funny. You know, well, our Rangers. Plenty I, of adult jokes in there. Yeah. But even somebody like me who grew up watching like Godzilla movies, you know, dude in the rubber suit knocking over fake buildings. I, I loved those as a kid. And I and Power Rangers, I thought was I always thought was corny. Go figure. <laughs> and I love Power Rangers. I was always the Yellow Ranger. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> and, my and like I said, I never hated it. I just didn't get it. I just, like I said, I was just like, eh, it's not for me. 
but I was in the minority because uh, everybody loved Power Rangers. Yeah, same, same, Russ. <laughs> I couldn't get into it. I always thought I was a little aged out of it, maybe. But then it, there was like a girl, I remember when I was in fifth grade, there was a girl in my class. She was obsessed with Power Rangers when I was in fifth grade. So maybe I wasn't aged out. Maybe I just didn't get it. <laughs> it's like me now with, with Rick and Morty. I don't get it. And I should get it because they crack on a lot of science fiction stuff that was that was popular with me when I was a kid. But I don't know. I, I may just have I have HBO Max. I'm probably just gonna watch a few more episodes just to see if it catches on with me. But I think I think Rick and Morty got renewed for a fourth season. But I was just like, it's just over my head, I guess. <laughs> Like I think somebody was telling me about an episode where uh, where Rick, who's the the oldest scientist guy, turned himself into a pickle, an actual pickle, just so he wouldn't have to go to therapy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 weird, you know. And it's not a bad show. I just don't get it. I'll be watching either way. And that's all I got today. All right. All right. So I, I will say this, you know, like I said, looking out the window, it's a nice day. And then afterwards I got to actually get dressed and go to the, and go to the pharmacy. It's going to be hot. I'll be sweating by the time I get there. You know, it'll be a nice treat. Ice cream. Not for me. Cause I'm a type two diabetic. So I'll have to pass on the ice cream, but a story came across my desk just this morning, maybe like, 40 minutes ago, uh, I was watching, you know, some videos and there was a Kyle, Kyle Kalinske, he does a show called Secular Talk and he had Crystal Ball from the Hill as his guest. And they were talking about a story that they came across from MSNBC about a mom and pop ice cream store, ice cream parlor in Pittsburgh that decided, you know what, we need to attract some workers. So we're gonna start paying $15 an hour. They got a thousand applications. Well, you know what? That's not accurate. They stopped counting the applications after a thousand. So they got over a thousand applications to work in an ice cream shop because they were because they were paying fifteen dollars an hour, which flies in the face of Republicans and their ridiculous nonsense about well, you know, people just don't want to work. I'm like, we do want to work. We just don't. We just don't have time to work for bullshit wages. We we'll work for fair wages. Yeah. Because you know who doesn't care about your problems? The electric company, the gas company, the people that hold your car note, your apartment, your mortgage. They don't really give a shit about your problems. You know, when when the money is due, they will send you a bill. If the bill is not paid in a timely manner, they may give you a grace period. If that grace period is up, then bad things start to happen. Kick it be out, whatever. Yeah. So you can't waste time working a bullshit job for bullshit wages. And 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 here's the thing. And and I had to I have to walk back on that. There's no such thing as a bullshit job. It's bullshit wages. It's the wages that make a job bullshit. You know. Like, like, like I mentioned, uh, I was talking to some friends yesterday in, in Denmark, um, McDonald's pays $22 an hour plus benefits. So that includes healthcare, pension, and paid time off. 
McDonald's in the United States pays on average between $8.50 and $9.50 an hour. No benefits, no nothing. But I thought it was supposed to be for uh, for high school students. Yeah, well, that's that's the fantasy that is for high school students. It is probably, and, and but my even, generation- Like, let's just go with that. Let's just even go with that. Mm-hmm. McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's is supposed to be paying high school students. If that's the case, then why not just pay the people who work the day shift, like give a day shift incentive where people can go home and be with their families and pay the people who work those um, earlier hours more money. And overnight hours when it's illegal for kids to work, more money. Because somebody's got to run the 24-hour McDonald's and it's not going to be his because of labor laws. So the fuck? Like, pay, pay the adults who are there and not in school and not truants more money. Also, um, the other the other part to that is I forgot I lost my train of thought, but the bottom line is it's not okay. It's not okay to pay people non living wages. Oh, that's what I was going to say. When I was in high school, I um, I made nine dollars an hour working in a call center. So granted, it wasn't McDonald's, and I'm sure McDonald's wasn't paying nine dollars an hour but my point is i was in high school 20 plus years ago so you mean to tell me like nine dollars an hour then was acceptable and it's still acceptable now like in spite of inflation or whatever the fuck like y'all are adjusting with the times like nine dollars an hour is considered like pretty good money back then that was 20 years ago so no it's not okay well just to share something I've been through lately when it comes down to finances and wages and purchasing and cost of living. So we're sitting in a recession right now. It's pretty clear that we are unemployment, unemployment rates are high. People definitely, I'm pretty sure would like to work when unemployment is paying more. Like you said, we know what people are going to do. So I'm in the market to buy a house and I was out with my realtor. Now my income has been pretty much the same. It has definitely increased over the years, but at one point, I knew I could only afford about $190,000 to $200,000 house. But because there are no people working right now, um, the cost of supplies has increased, whether it be lumber, insulation, all this stuff they have to buy to build a house. You're talking about $190,000 house is now easily two hundred and eighty grand, And it actually turned me off from purchasing. So I thought about it. I said, what if they just simply paid more? a lot more of these workers who cut lumber or make the insulation and all that kind of stuff, they'll come back. But I don't think they understand, even with something like this recession due to a virus, the cost of living has increased anyway. A gallon of milk isn't a dollar anymore. It's, it's easily $3 down here. You know, It's just our government and, and from state to state, they don't move with the current times because minimum wage in most states still sitting at seven dollars and like 45 or 15 cents or something like that you can't live off that you can't even live off 15 comfortably right i mean 15 dollars is not the end all be all answer to our problems the 15 dollars is a catch-up you know Mm -hmm. if if it's the minimum that's what's called minimum wage 
It's like Chris Rock said, minimum wage basically means I'd pay you less if I could, but that would be against the law. Um, <laughs> if wages kept up with inflation and productivity, the minimum wage would be like 21 bucks an hour. And in some countries, like in Australia, it is 21 bucks an hour because it keeps up with inflation. Right. So does it mean that these people are living la vida loca? You know, no. But at least it means that uh, they can pay their car notes and they can pay their rent and their mortgages, you know, without too much hassle. There's always going to be a hassle. I mean, life without hassle is basically a life that was written by somebody who dreamed of how life should be. There's always going to be a struggle. There's always going to be something. But the problem is, is that our government manufactures a lot of this drama that we're in now. And they do it under the guise of greed. So some of these smaller businesses are starting to realize, hey, if I want to get people to work here, I got to pay them like actual wages, you know, and you saw the result from that ice cream parlor. You know, they got over a thousand applications and oh, and they got those thousands of applications in a week. One week after they posted that they were paying 15 bucks an hour, a week later, they had over a thousand applications for the job. So, Sounds competitive. People are willing to work for wages that will allow them to sustain life. That's why. Yeah, exactly. So I know what people were probably saying, well, you're working in ice cream parlor is a job for kids. I'm like, you ever see like a, a, a eight-year-old driving an ice cream truck? No. It's a job. You're in the food service industry. Just because it's ice cream doesn't mean that it's not, you know, you're still in the service industry. That service just has to be providing ice cream. Nah, that would be so much better than having to work for tips. I know that much. Yeah, we I, I think we covered tips in the, in the last show. How a lot of countries tipping is considered to be like if you go to Japan yep. or oh, we talked about that last week. Yeah, we like, did. If you go to Japan or Korea. It's considered to be an insult to tip people because they pay people a living wage over there. Wow. And in this country, people don't tip for things that should be tipped for, really. But we know those wages make $3 an hour. Three? They wish they made $3. Yeah, $2 a change. Yeah. I thought it was $3. Oh, the tip wage. Mm -hmm. Well, some stores may pay, some like restaurants may average. pay three. Yeah, they may pay three, but the, the tip minimum wage is $2.13. Wow. So some restaurants may pay $3, but that's the, the minimum wage is $2.13 for tip workers. Wow. Yeah. It, it all boils down to, to greed. Pretty much. Yeah. Now, I, I will say this, this story is a little fun. You know, even though it, it has a grim beginning, I think it's kind of fun. There is a, uh, a band in California, in Los Angeles, called the Linda Lindas. And it's four Asian American girls. Uh, Mila, who's 10, Eloise, who's 13, Lucia, 14, and Bella, 16. And they do uh, punk rock, power pop, and new wave. And, um, and yes, the youngest girl is the drummer. <laughs> so they caught uh some national attention because they had they were doing a show at the uh los angeles public library 
right? Which was being, uh, you know, was being recorded. And the 10 year old, um, Mila, told a story because one of the songs that they performed was a song called Racist Sexist Boys. And uh, Mila told the story before they did the song. She said, a little while before we went into lockdown, a boy came up to me in my class and said that his dad told him to stay away from Chinese people. The drummer, uh, and then she said, um, after I told him that I was Chinese, he backed away from me. So she said, Eloise and I wrote this song based on that experience. The part of that story that bothers me is the fact that that little boy's father literally told him to be racist, literally told him, stay away from Chinese people. Like for a lot of people who end up becoming racist as teenagers and then little kids, it's because usually because either because they observe their parents doing it or their parents mm -hmm. just directly tell them to do it. You know, if you have, yes, uh, I'm making up a goofy scenario here, but if you're some uh, some white kid and your dad works in, works instruction and he, he comes home grumbling every day, you know, we were uh, supposed to uh, work with these, uh, you know, they, they laid us off because they hired these damn Mexicans that working for cheaper. You know, these damn Mexicans are ruining everything and the kids are hearing this. So when they go to school and they see a Mexican kid, you know, they, you know, it's like Malcolm X said, he said, if a snake bites a child, they're not going to look for the snake with blood on its fangs. They're just gonna kill every snake they see, you know? And this is not a moment to kill, but I'm just saying like, if, some little kid hears that, you know, like, uh, and kids don't really have that much nuance. So if they hear, oh, you know, Mexican took my dad's job, Mexican people must be bad. So you have a Mexican kid in your classroom and treat him like shit, you know, because of your dad coming home grumbling about Mexicans taking his job. Mexicans don't take people's job. I don't have, I never had, I never had to worry about if I go to the bathroom when I'm in the office and I come back and there's a Mexican sitting in my seat typing away. And I'm like, hey, you. You can't have my job, get away. That's not how it works. A Mexican didn't steal your job. Your employer gave it to him. You know? So the fact that, you know, and especially now with all this Asian American hate going, I think they signed a bill about it recently. I didn't bother reading the bill, but, um, I mean, I guess for, for African-Americans, the hate's always been there. <laughs> but for Asian-Americans, I mean, since the pandemic, because of Trump, the, I mean, it just spiked. Like if you, if you look at the charts and graphs on it, it's, it's almost comparable to hate crimes against uh, Muslims and Middle Eastern folks after September 11th. You know, I told y'all about the lady in, in, uh, in Brooklyn, somebody, mm -hmm. uh, somebody threw acid in her face while she was taking out the trash, you know? It's people, I, I can't even, I can't even describe it. But the, 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 the group, the Linda Linda's got a shout out from Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. And I listened to their song, it's actually good. Them little girls could play. They got talent, you know? What was their name again? The Linda Linda's. 
I knew I wanted to say Lisa Lisa's and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. So I I guess the girls just took the Taylor Swift route. Yeah, you you wronged me, I'm gonna write a song about you. <laughs> so more power to the Linda Lindas. And and I hope that racist, sexist boy that inspired this song takes a second look at himself and just realizes you know what a douchebag he's been but knowing knowing america he's probably going to try and sue to get some of the some of the royalties because he figures well i inspired that song where's my cut (laughs) if it wasn't for my overt racism they would never have written that song (laughs) sometimes oh wow half half asian half latinx That's so. cute. That's really cute. Sometimes I have a low opinion of people. <laughs> Speaking of low opinions, I know Odie. I know you're not that big a sports fan. Uh, Mercedes, what about you? Do you follow NBA basketball at all? Um, a little bit. Um, I do. So I, I mean, I, I know the players, and you know, typically watch highlights. Never turn off Sports Center. So I know enough. I'm more of an NFL fan, but yeah. Have you ever heard of a player named uh, Kwame Brown? Yes, I have. Yeah. Have you been Have you been seeing this his whole uh, his whole drama the last week or so? Yeah, I've seen some, some bits and pieces. Um, um, like I like I said, I, the, the big deal of him being like you know <clears throat> what first round high school draft pick and stuff like that, yeah. or what it was. But yeah, I've heard some of the drama here and there. I mean, the, the thing about Kwame Brown, and, and I was going back and forth with some of my friends about this on uh, on uh, Facebook, right? I, I get why uh, he's mad. And I get, and I, about him lashing out, I have no problems with that. Because if people call you out, you're allowed to, you're allowed to clap back. Did I think he went too far in this clap back? Getting personal? Yeah. Absolutely, you know. But the quick story on Kwame Brown is that Kwame Brown was the first NBA player to be picked number one overall out of high school. So not even Kobe got picked number one. I don't even think Garnett got picked number one. So Kwame Brown was the first to be picked number one overall out of high school. Now, the story behind that was this, and this is I didn't know this until very recently. Michael Jordan, who was the, uh, the GM at the time, didn't really want Kwame Brown. He wanted to get Kwame Brown so he could trade him to Chicago for uh, Elton Brand, right? Who'd already, been, who'd already been playing for a couple of years. But the owner of the Wizards blocked the trade. So now they were stuck with Kwame, right? So to speak. And Jordan just really laid into this kid and pretty much just broke his confidence off the bat, right? So he's this 18-year-old kid, right? He's, he's in a terrible situation. Because here's the thing, with Kwame Brown's skills, and hindsight is always 20-20, he should never be even been picked in the first round, he should have been a high second round draft pick at best. Michael Jordan, if you look back at, at the picks Michael Jordan has done for the Wizards and, and then also for the for Charlotte, 
right? He's always been terrible. Always been terrible at picking talent. He's the worst, you know? And here's the thing about Kwame though, right? If you look at, I'm just gonna go by points and rebounds because he's a big man, right? And I'll even do blocks. For his career, right? Kwame Brown is lifetime 6.6 points per game, uh, 0.6 blocks per game, and then uh, 5.5 rebounds per game as a center. Oh, wow. You know, he, he's a center. So it's not like he's a small forward. He's a center pulling oh, wow. down five rebounds a game lifetime, right? Now, you figure, and Kwame is like just under seven feet. He's like 6'11", right? You figure you have uh, Zach Randolph, who was in the same draft as Kwame, right? The 2001 draft wasn't great. The only real standouts was uh, Zach Randolph. Pau Gasol was in that round. Uh, Tyson Chandler, who went on to become a, a NBA Defensive Player of the Year. And um, Tony Parker, who went at like the end of that of that first round. And you know, we all know Tony Parker's resume. One of the, one of the best point guards out there and part of that whole uh, dynasty with uh, Mano Ginobili and Tim Duncan. He's the one that married uh, Eva Longoria. Yes. That's the only thing I know. Like, give me the pop culture references <laughs> other than that, I'm not gonna know. Now you figure Zach Randolph, right? For his career, now, he had a longer career than Kwame. Kwame played 12 years. I think Zach Randolph played 18 seasons, right? But in his 18 seasons, he was lifetime 16 points per game, um, 0 0.3 blocks per game, but um, 9.1 rebounds per game. Lifetime, you know? So I think the problem with Kwame, right? And I didn't bother listening to what Matt Barnes and all those other people said. I don't really give a shit because sportscasters do this all the time. You know, you have, so if you look up, if you look up a list of busts in the NBA, right? High level draft picks who get picked before players who go on to become stars. You're probably not going to see Kwame Brown in that list because the 2001 draft class was not great. OK, you'll probably hear more about Sam Bowie, who got picked ahead of Michael Jordan. You'll hear more about uh, Darko Milicic, you know, who got picked ahead of players who were infinitely ended up being infinitely better than him. Milicic, I think, was either second or third pick in the draft. Right. So when you talk about bust, there are tons of other busts that would be ahead of Kwame. But when you talk about overall number one picks, Kwame usually is at they either have him at number one or number two on those lists and sportscasters use him as the butt of their jokes. So he eventually got mad and, and clapped back. Now, I think for me, putting a little bit of nuance into it, right? Was Kwame a bust? Absolutely. There is no doubt in my mind that Kwame Brown was a bust. And that's basically, that's forget how he was treated. Forget the, forget the fact that Michael Jordan is a, is a nutsack. I could say it. I'm, I'm not in the NBA. I don't work for Jordan. He's an asshole. He's always been an asshole. 
I remember Allen Iverson said, and you know, when he, he, Allen Iverson did an interview, right? When he, he was a rookie in the league and they, and they asked him, you know, you know, you ask the rookies questions like, who'd you look up to? And, you know, Iverson said that he looked up to Jordan and he's one of the reasons why he wanted to play basketball. The first game where the, where the Bulls played the 76ers and he met Michael Jordan, you know what Michael Jordan said to Allen Iverson? He called him a little bitch for looking up to him. And Allen Iverson internalized that in the next game they play. You ever see that video of Allen Iverson crossing over Jordan and hitting mm-hmm. that shot? That was, that was the game after Michael Jordan called Allen Iverson a little bitch. So Jordan has, has historically been an asshole. I'm sorry, I um, had my mute and I was talking. Yeah, I remember all of that. Oh my God, you brought back so many memories. <laughs> ah, you brought back oh when I was a diehard NBA fan, uh, um, doing the, the Vince Carter era and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it, it's funny about Jordan, and it's one of the things like I was telling my friend yesterday. Like the reason why I don't like wrestling as much as I used to is because I hear all the stories now about all the backstage politics that went on. Like, even though Michael Jordan took my team's dreams, I was a, I'm, I'm a diehard Knicks fan. Even though he took my dreams every year and he put them on a plate and ate them with, uh, with some fava beans and a nice Chianti every year, every year, I could never say I hate Michael Jordan. And now after learning all this stuff about Michael Jordan, I'm like, he's an asshole. Fuck him. Can't stand him. You know? Because there are, there are certain coaches. I mean, Jordan was never a coach. He's a GM. But he used to, like, work out with the teams. And, you know, and, and eventually he started, he started playing with the Wizards again. You know? And I think they, they played together. And um, you have people like Popovich, Greg Popovich, you know, the longtime coach of the San Antonio Spurs, right? Popovich is not, like, soft, you know, he's hard on his players, but he doesn't, he doesn't break them down because that's not going to make them play better. So he will do his best to bring out the best in his players. And that's why he's got a whole bunch of rings. That's why his players always come out and do their best for. I think this is the first year just because of, of severe loss of talent. I think this is the first year in. God, no, it, it was it was a ridiculous number. I don't have the number in front of me. I don't want to tell lies. But it was the first time in, in, more than, in more than two decades, I think, where they missed the playoffs back-to-back in back-to-back seasons. So, and that was the first time that happened in, I, I want to say, well over 20 years. You know, but a lot of that was due to like, like the years that he was there is because Popovich is a good coach because you could be tough on your players, but not break them down. Jordan broke this kid's confidence down. Now, like I said, um, before I went off on a tangent, is Kwame Brown a bust? Yes. Is Kwame Brown a loser or a bum? No, absolutely not. He lasted 12 years in the league, right? Kwame Brown played with how many different teams? He started on the Wizards. He ended up going to, uh, he played three seasons on the Lakers, two on Detroit, and then one season each for uh, Charlotte, uh, was it Charlotte, Philadelphia, Memphis, and then Golden State. Golden State was his last season. And he only played like nine games for them, right? So, especially in this day and age where they're still 
more talent pools to pull from, right? The fact that he kept getting roster spots is a, is a decent testament. You have a kid who grew up in poverty, you know? And then there were some people who were saying like, well, maybe Kwame should have went to college first. No, you don't, you don't pass up that opportunity. And then what? Go to college and blow his D out the way Sam Bowie did and become a bust in a different way? No, you don't do that. You get the opportunity to go, you go. That's my opinion anyway, you know? And, and, and I would say if I was in Kwame's shoes and that opportunity came up to me, like, oh, you can go right to the NBA draft and not go to college, I would have taken it. Damn hindsight. Let's just live in, let's just live in that exact moment. If you had a chance to go to the NBA, you're going you're gonna to want to go to the NBA. If that's your life's dream was to go to the NBA. Yeah, of course you're going to go. Yeah. I know hindsight is always 2020, but sometimes it's more, it makes more sense to just live in that exact moment. What would you, what would you do in that moment? Because in that moment, you don't have the luxury of knowing what's going to happen to you 20 years down the line. You just know in that moment, this is the opportunity granted to you. You take that opportunity because what if he went to college and, and he became a, 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 a sophomore and he blew out his knee and then couldn't go to the NBA? Right. Or what if the opportunity just simply never came back around for him? Exactly. So me, honestly, when he went, I think he went when he was supposed to go. Everything happens for a reason. The opportunity presented itself for a reason. No, he may not have lived up to the hype of who he was at that time, um, being picked straight out of high school like that, especially first. So, but no, he went when he was supposed to. He got a career out of it. He was in the league for over a decade. Me personally, I think he did just fine. Yeah. Just wasn't LeBron James. And I think that's what everybody, he wasn't like your, his, his, his playing style and his stats just weren't, oh, you know, LeBron James or even Michael Jordan for that matter, Allen Iverson, he wasn't that good. But he, he, he stayed in the league for a long time for a reason. I'm pretty sure they could have let him go be a free agent and he wouldn't have had anybody to sign to, but that wasn't the case. Yeah. I mean, you figure, I mean, even, even Tyson Chandler, he was never known as a, as a big scorer because he was also in that draft. And I think right. he got picked after, uh, after Kwame. I mean, he was only, uh, what, 8.2 points per game lifetime, right? 1.2 blocks per game, which is actually, I mean, if you're over a block a game, that's actually a pretty good average. And then, um, what was it? N- nine rebounds a game lifetime. That's not bad at all. Yeah. But Tyson Chandler is, is a different type of player. He's more of a defensive threat. And when you're a defensive threat, there are a lot of stats that you can't really quantify. Right. When you're, I mean, he's a former defensive player of the year. Right. So there are certain players who become role players. There may be a player like, like, like Steve Kerr. All he knows how to do is shoot threes and game winning threes at that, you know, uh, there are some players who don't put up big numbers and there are players who put up numbers comparable to Kwame who've had great NBA careers, like a Bruce Bowen or somebody like that. Right. Right. But Bruce Bowen is consistent and he fills that role every single time. If Kwame Brown got picked the last two or three picks in the first round or the couple or the high picks in the second round, we would not be having this conversation because they would have, they would have said he was adequate and that would have been the end of it. 
The only reason why that bust moniker comes up is because he was chosen number one overall. But I think that Kwame's thing is he feels like they're looking at him like a bum and a loser. And that's not it. I can't speak for Matt Barnes and the rest of those jackasses on, on, on TNT. I'll speak for myself. I do not think he's a bum. He made over $60 million in his career. In his rookie season, he bought his mama a house uh, right. overlooking a golf course. You know, and she still lives there, if I'm correct. So he is definitely not a bum and he is certainly not a loser. Right. But but he is a bust. And that's something that he's got to live with, you know. But I think when they when they muddy the waters and see being a bust as being a loser or a bum, that is absolutely not the case. It's too to me. It's too different. Because you could be a player that was uh, that was destined to be great, like Antonio McDice. And uh, McDice had a whole bunch of knee problems and never lived up to that potential. Or you could have a good player just in on a bad team in a bad program, never live up to that hype. You know, these things happen all the time in the NBA. He only the only thing that Kwame had going against him is that Michael Jordan, being the asshole that he is, picked him number one to trade him away. The, the sale got, the, the trade got blocked and then Michael Jordan took his wrath out on Kwame and broke his confidence. So if anybody should be getting called out in all this, it's Michael Jordan. Might, yeah. <laughs> and to be completely honest with you, where he started, if he hadn't done that, he could have had a better start to his career on another team. Yeah. For a team that actually wanted to take the time to develop him. Exactly. Keep in mind, this is a young boy we're talking about at the time. Yeah, because if you think about it, a lot of and the uh, the big expectation for like if you pick like first through fifth is that they're not going to waste that pick on you if they have to do a whole lot of development on you. So they pick you, um, you know, late first round or early second round. They're going to have that patience to develop you, you know. You're not, everybody's not going to be Kobe or Kevin or I almost said Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett who are going to, or LeBron James, who are going to make an immediate splash, you know, and just turn things around for the team. Everybody doesn't really, you know, that's not always feasible because where you get picked, there's a a certain expectation of, okay, he's got to develop. You know, and there are some players who don't get called a bust until five, six years down the line because they, there's that expectation of development. And then if they don't put up those numbers, then they're like, well, he's a bust. You know. But off the bat, he got all the heat off the bat from year one. You know. So, I mean, I, I, I'm all for Kwame you know, clapping back on the, you know, on this, on the people who are, who are still putting them down, but, you know, keep it civil there, Kwame. That's all I'm going to say, you know. I guess I got one more thing before we wrap up. Uh, Nina Turner, she is a former Ohio State Senator. And she's currently running for the congressional seat vacated by Marsha Fudge when Joe mm-hmm. Biden nominated her to be Secretary of Housing and Development. Right. 
So now they're having a, a special election in uh, November to fill that seat. Now, uh, Nina Turner entered the race. So the day after Marsha Fudge uh, was nominated by Joe Biden and, and left, the day after Nina Turner put in her papers to run for that. Uh, so like I said, so Nina Turner was state senator, but now she's going for House of Representatives. Right. I think I think it's for 11th district in, in Ohio. Now, I'm, all, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I mean, if you know Nina Turner at all or if you don't, she's very progressive and she's very outspoken. She doesn't mince words. She gets right to the point And, you know, she has very progressive ideals. I like Nina Turner a lot. You know, and I want to see her. I want to see her win this. We need more Nina Turners in Congress for sure. OK. What we don't need is we don't need a bunch of Chantel Browns. Now, I know, I know people be like, why you always got to pick on black women? Hey, I'm posting, I'm, I'm, I'm promoting Nina Turner here. She's black. Calm down, imaginary people I made up just to yell at. <laughs> but Chantel Brown is basically a corporate Democrat running for that seat, right? And here's the thing. Nina Turner is gaining a lot of momentum. Why? Because her policies are popular. She's very articulate and very well-spoken and she gets her point across in a clear, concise manner. So Chantel can't attack Nina on the issues that are popular. What's she gonna say? I'm against Medicare for all? Okay, let's see, let's see how well that works out for you. So Chantel is doing something a bit underhanded. Because of the Citizens United uh, ruling, they can now have super PACs, which is basically political action committees that could just rake in unlimited amounts of money. A, a, a PAC, like Bernie Sanders has a PAC, right? A political action committee, but there are limits to that political action committee on how much money they could raise and how much money they can get from people. There is a clear limit to that, right? A super PAC is unlimited but the only caveat is that they cannot coordinate directly with the candidates, but they find ways to get around it. So on their websites, they have something called, uh, I, think, I think it's called a red box. And it's basically their barely legal way of communicating with the, um, with the pack, right? So recently, Chantel Brown put up a whole bunch of talking points right, that she wants the pack to turn into ads against Nina Turner, you know, saying that she, that, that Nina, that Nina Turner's against Joe Biden, and, you know, she gets in there, she's gonna, she's gonna try to thwart his plans, and all this other stuff, right, but she's also trying to lobby uh, APAC and other Jewish organizations for campaign donations, saying that, that she would be a friend to Israel. Basically in politics, being a friend to Israel basically just means you can commit genocide and I'll keep my mouth shut so long as the checks keep rolling in. There are a lot of people who are terrified of AIPAC, right? AIPAC is the main uh, Jewish lobby, right? And matter of fact, lately AIPAC has been running a whole bunch of ads against Ilhan Omar. Now. Why did they choose Ilhan Omar to run ads against and they didn't, they didn't choose Rashida Tlaib? 
Rashida Tlaib is from Palestine. And when the squad was on the floor of the Senate, uh, of the, I'm sorry, of the, of the House, giving their testimonials and their speeches against the Israeli government, uh, Rashida broke down in tears. She still has family that lives in Palestine that are in danger. So she got emotional and rightfully so. So why wouldn't APAC run ads against Rashida Tlaib? Why choose Ilhan Omar? Because Ilhan Omar is an easy target because she wears a traditional Muslim garb and she looks like their enemy. So it's easy to single her out than to single out Rashida Tlaib. In other words, APAC is a bunch of scumbags. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Yeah, because to back APAC is to believe that every person in Israel backs their government. That is absolutely not true. That's like saying everybody backs the, everybody in America backs our, our own government. We do not. You know, some people hate everything the government does. I think that's a bit extreme. Other people will praise the government when they do good and call the government out when they do bad. And if it just so happens they do more bad than good and all you hear is the bad, at least they call out the good when it happens. I think that's fair. You know. But the fact that Chantel, uh, Chantel Brown is appealing directly, she's using that to get campaign money because Nina Turner is gaining momentum and she's afraid that she's gonna lose this race. Now, keep in mind, this is just uh, the primary. They still got to run against whatever, whatever scumbag Republican they put up to run against her or, or, or whoever wins, you know. But just the fact that she's getting that desperate that she's reaching out to, and I'm not going to say is, is not directly to APAC. I'm just using APAC as an example. But she is reaching out to Jewish organizations by saying that if she's elected, she will be a friend to Israel. which just tells you just about everything you need to know about her. Being someone's friend is, you know, it's almost a sacred duty. And if you see that person doing wrong, you don't just turn a blind eye. Now, every situation is not comfortable to talk about, but you find a way, you know, pull that person to the side and let them know, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You know, you gotta make it right. If you need some help to make it right, I'll help you. But you can't go on this way. You know, because we have that relationship with Israel, we we sell them weapons. You know, it's kind of funny. We give we give Israel money for their military budget and then they use that money to buy weapons from us. What the fuck, man? That doesn't even make any sense. It's like putting money into your own Ponzi scheme from directly from your bank account. I just thought about that. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. We are a stupid country. But, <laughs> but my thing is this, right? I think that people are becoming, and when I say people, I mean politicians, are becoming less afraid of, of the Jewish lobby. You know, uh, what, what's her name? Meghan McCain threw a, a, a hissy fit on Twitter because AOC called um, 
Israel an apartheid state. And AOC said that an apartheid state cannot be a democracy, which is true. You know, it's almost as if the, the right-wing Israeli government learned nothing from the Holocaust. Absolutely nothing. Because, I mean, no, they're not putting the Palestinians on trains and hurting them in the ovens, but they are oppressing them to no end. They live in an open-air prison. If you want to know why the Palestinians are fighting the way they're fighting, just look at the map of Palestine from 1947, then look at it in 1967, then look at it today. Don't take my word for it, look it up. So, but I'm gonna be keeping an eye on that race and I'm, I'm very curious as to the outcome. So I'll, I'll be talking hey. about it. I'll be talking about it more as the race goes on. So, you know, mm. I, I'm going to be totally biased here. I'm all for Nina Turner. And uh, it's going to be a hard no to Chantel, to Chantel Brown. Hard no. One last thing, 30 seconds. I know we're over time. Did you guys watch Army of the Dead on Netflix? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about it last night. We watched it Friday night. We were talking about it last night. What the, what, what, how. what 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 do you think of it? Um, we said the overall consensus was it held our attention, so it was entertaining in that respect. Mm -hmm. But like we were just pissed at some of the things that happened throughout, specifically with the daughter, um, with how it ended and how she didn't make sense. Um, for one of the characters, I don't want to do a spoiler or whatever in case you haven't watched it but the daughter was mad annoying um she was the person who had emotionally driven decisions as ron pointed out she she had emotionally driven decisions that impacted everybody else shit yeah exactly i i i made i, I ragged on it on facebook not as a review but i was like why would Zack snyder make a two and a half hour zombie movie right and then I remembered, you know what? The original Dawn of the Dead was two and a half hours. But then the original Dawn of the Dead was a classic. You know, the first three Romero Dead movies were classics. And what made them classics was not just the blood and gore. Romero, like the zombies were in the background, right? Yes. There were tons of gore in, in those movies, tons of gore, you know, but at the same time, in between the gore is compelling storylines, you know, Night of the Living Dead, you know, uh, Dwayne Jones, one of the first leading actors in a, um, in a horror movie, leading African-American actors in a horror movie. And the thing I, I've mentioned this before, he was basically, the way they saw it, he was the best person who, uh, who auditioned for the role. So they were like, you're hired. And he didn't change the dialogue to jive it up. They said, we'll leave the dialogue as is, you know? And for some reason, I thought that made it better, you know? Um, Dawn of the Dead was a, also a commentary on consumerism, you know? 
for some reason, the zombies just felt compelled to go to the mall <laughs> when they were holed up trying to wait it out, uh, you know, until they were able to escape in their helicopter. Uh, Day of the Dead, you know, the last living survivors, you know, uh, you know, just trying to work things out and just trying to survive. It was a lot of studies on human beings in horrible situations and the zombies were just a threat in the background, waiting to just come out and just start ripping people to shreds. So um, with Army of the Dead, there were a lot of things where, cause you figure in a two and a half hour movie, you know, minor spoiler, they, you know, there are, I mean, you could tell from the trailer, the whole point is they're trying to do a heist at a casino that's overrun by zombies, right? I'm not gonna go too much more into the plot, right? But you would figure there'd be at least one person who would just be like, that sounds dangerous. I don't know if I wanna do that. And I think there's one person who balked, but everybody else was like, sure. I'm not doing nothing on Thursday. Let's do a heist. <laughs> like everybody just readily agreed to do the heist. No one had any reservations. No one had, no one was just like, should we really be doing this? There's a guy named uh, Ryan George. He has, he does this thing called um, uh, pitch meeting where he kind of like, uh, it's weird the way it's edited, but it's fine. I love those. And he's, he's pitching a movie to, uh, to himself as the uh, movie producer in a funny way. And one reoccurring thing in his videos, he was like, well, why would he do that? And he was like, the question is, so the movie can happen. That's basically why a lot of people did stuff in that movie so the movie could continue. Because they kind of wrote themselves into a corner. You know. But I will agree with you. I will agree with you and Ron on one thing. I mean, I don't like, I mean, it's always gonna be an annoying character in a movie, especially in a horror movie. There's gotta be one. There's gotta be one character that, that you wish would get eaten or torn to shreds. You know, I, I noticed that was a trend with 90s horror movies, like the 80s horror movies, like Friday the 13th, you really wanted those kids to live. And in, in the 90s, you just couldn't wait for the killer to cut some woman's throat because she's been annoying since the opening credits. Like the daughter, she was like that for me, you know? She was just somebody who I was, I was just, you know, Maybe she'd trip on her shoelaces and the zombies would get her. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a horrible person like that. <laughs> Mainly because I know she's not really dead and there's no just things as zombies. But um, I would say this. If you like thought in your movies, don't watch it. If you just want to see a, a, a goofy, bloody action thriller and you have two and a half hours to spare, I would say go see it. But, mm -hmm. I, but, but one reviewer said it best. He was like, this movie is not, if you're a Zack Snyder critic, it's not going to change your mind. Yeah. And, it's, and it's a shame for one reason, because Zack Snyder did the remake of Dawn of the Dead, and I thought it was excellent. I thought he did a great job with it. So for him to come back with Army of the Dead was just kind of like, okay, this is, this is a downgrade. <laughs> so... Odie, what are your final thoughts? Mm, final thought. Mm, I don't know. Come back to me. Come back to me. I think I'll have something like that. 
All right. I, I will say this, cut the CDC a break because a lot of people are ragging on the CDC. When I say a lot of people, I'm talking about like the pundits who I normally listen to have been ragging on the CDC about their mixed messaging about people being vaccinated, what they can and can't do. You know, this is, and I'm not gonna say it's, it's a unique situation. It's an uncommon situation. What makes it uncommon is that we had a, a piece of shit president in Donald Trump who just made a situation that where everybody should have come together, he just divided everybody down the middle, right? And now you have people saying that wearing masks is like, wearing masks is slavery, it's fascism, you know? So there's gonna be some people who are gonna continue to wear their masks in stores, like me. Like, I'm, like I plan on doing in about 40 minutes or so when I go to the supermarket to get my prescriptions. You know what? You can look at me all you want. You can laugh at me all you want. I don't give a shit. I'm trying to live. I got things I need to live for. I saw a TikTok that said, um, it was this man, he was like going back and forth with whether or not he should put his mask on or take it off. And when he put it on, he was like, well, he started with it on. And he was like, but the CDC says I can take it off. So he took it down and then he put it back up when he was like, but then people will think I'm an anti-masker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or yeah and uh so he was like mm, maybe i should put like take it off and then he was like but i don't want other people to get sick so you put it back up like it was just like a whole debate and to me that's reason enough where i was like i'm gonna keep wearing my mask yeah i mean the only only thing i'll do is when i go when i walk to the supermarket i'm, I'm probably gonna have my mask off because it looks like it's getting really hot outside but once i get there i'll just take i'll just put my mask on and go into the store you know, because there, I mean, after the CDC's decision, you saw a huge spike on Google and people looking up fake vaccination cards. So there's going to be a lot of people who are, who are going to try to fake it and be like, well, you know what, I've been vaxxed, even though they haven't been. So That's why it really should have been, uh, there really should have been a digital system for this period yes absolutely. especially for like one digital database maybe even per per country but there should have been one database where everybody gets their own unique id yes because i think i think north carolina has its own but it's not i don't think it's national yeah it needs to be integrated though for like travel purposes yes absolutely you know just like people have to do um people have to do what is it they have to oh for like not fast pass but the stuff when you fly i can't remember what the program's called john or Blaine. i have not traveled a long time we actually <laughs> i finally booked a trip uh and i was like damn this has been so long since i booked a trip i fucked it up <laughs> because <laughs> like we booked a a rental car for the first to the fifth of july but the idea was like, we're gonna pick the car up at night so we can get on the road first thing in the morning. Well, I fucked around and made the hotel dates for the same period of time, knowing that we're not gonna get there till the second. Oh. So yeah, I was like, damn, like that's what happened when you don't, like I never would have made such a rookie mistake. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I definitely out of practice here. I gotta shake off the ring rust, you yep. know? 
I, I, I booked my own ticket, which is, which for me, like, I feel like a big, I felt like a big boy. Cause usually I, I have my friend who, who travels a lot. She usually does it for me, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to bother Michelle with this. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and get this done. And the flight going home ended up being a straight flight, you know, straight to JFK, no must, no fuss coming home. The early, I mean, I was trying to get a later flight for the for the the sake of whoever had to drop me off at the airport, right? Unfortunately, I have an eight o'clock flight going, eight a.m. flight going home, and on top of that, is a is a two hour no a three hour layover in Boston. That was the shortest layover. Every other layover was five to six hours. There were no straight flights from JFK going back to RDU. It was all. Um, layover flights and the Boston one was the shortest so I was just like fine I'm off that next day I'll have time to recuperate from this horse shit stupid airplanes <laughs> I was I was fit to take the train but that's like a half a day on the train literally like like 13 hours by train so I'm just like that's yeah, not worth it I'll just I'll just suck it up and just fly so you figure out you figure out your final thoughts yet, Odie? Uh, to think you back off your point, yes. Keep wearing your mask. Because at the end of the day, you're not hurting anything or anybody. You know, the streets are back open. You want to enjoy them. Just err on the side of caution. Well, we probably don't. Not to mention, we saw people putting gas in bags and containers <laughs> in their home. We well, there's not even a shortage anymore. So no, you can't trust people to do the right thing. Exactly. We'd like to, but it's not going to happen. Well, anyway, that concludes our program. <laughs> you can catch us anywhere where you can get uh, podcasts, including Spotify and iHeartRadio. So everybody go out and enjoy your day. Stay safe. And uh, we will catch you next week. Bye, guys.